0: Hello my friends, Nick Labretti here for JR Cigars and here at JR, we are passionate about everything. You want cigars? We're passionate about Romeo, Monte Cristo, aging room. We're passionate about cigar cutters, lighters. We have everything. We are passionate about life here at JR Cigars and only here at JR Cigars. Did, did we get it? I'm not sure. What do you mean you're not sure? I'm out here busting my hump. I got Mike Guy in here. Get this freaking camera out of the way.
1: At JR Cigars, we're passionate about everything. find me
2: hello can we get somebody to host the show please
3: uh how about randy hey jordan i'm right here that worked out pretty well (laughs) welcome to smoke night live cigar dojo it's friday night we're gonna be doing friday night herf all night long If you're just tuning in, which obviously you must be because we just started the show, uh, hit hit the the like button, share the show on your feed. Um, We are going to have a lot of fun tonight. I'm super excited. It's episode 358 and we're being hosted by me, Randy Griggs. I've got this kind of no-name guest that we're going to have on. Uh, Let let me bring him on. You guys might have heard of him before. Master Sensei coming straight from Clearwater, Florida.
1: Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, <laughs> we're we're hanging out here in Clearwater. Uh, it's a beautiful night. I might just do the show without uh, any shoes or pants. I'm thinking about. I'm, I think I'm thinking about that. But uh, Randy, I'm excited about this show. We're gonna be talking uh, a lot of beer, and uh, we we want to thank you for uh, taking the reins tonight. Because since I'm since I'm traveling, so what I'm doing is it's Cigar Heritage Festival this weekend. Uh, tomorrow night is a big party at the JC Newman Factory, which I will be at, and then on Sunday is Cigar Heritage Festival, which I've gone to every year for I don't know four years or so, last four years. Now it's kind of interesting. This is the first year, guys, that it's been a it's a uh, it's converted into a paid for event, Randy. Um in the past it was just free uh now it's a paid event but then recently like the last i don't know like a week ago they said it's free again so i don't really know what's going on um all i know is it's usually a pretty cool festival it's in the sort of the town square in ybor city uh chickens are running around there's some vendors some cigar vendors some food vendors some drink vendors that kind of thing um it's it's a fun it's a fun event and so all uh, now that it was I think it was bought Randy by the people that do um, Grand Cathedral they also used to own Lord Puffer in California
3: oh yeah sure yeah
1: yeah um, so those folks are uh, are now running Cigar Heritage Festival so it's the first year for all that and um, I don't know what it'll be like we'll have to find out
3: yeah nice yeah that's like you said you've been doing this for a few years so I've always kind of followed along obviously a lot of the uh, industry uh you know known folks are uh are, are, are usually out there so my, my facebook and instagram feeds are usually filled with photos of it did you really see that there's chickens running around the town square
1: yeah so in ybor city um there <laughs> are just wild chickens <laughs> and really they if you're like have if you're like having a drink or a pizza at a, at a restaurant in ybor city you'll often see uh, like a chicken uh, just running down the street. And um, in the town chicken. square, casual chicken, in the town square yeah, where deep. they have the uh, chicken. cigar festival, the heritage festival, I think that's pretty much where all the chickens live. Because like oh if you God. sit down in just the wrong place, you'll be accosted by chickens. They're everywhere.
3: That's uh, kind of amazing. I lo- uh, I love so, I, oh, Randy, get this,
1: get this. A few years back, there was sort of this group of people that were like, because like now Ybor is being, you know, like all of the old cigar factories are being turned into like lofts and all this sort of stuff. So there was Just a group of people that were like, "Hey, man, we need to get rid of the chickens. The chickens are off-putting, you know, to this new sort of thing we want to create in Ybor City. Yeah, Ybor City is sort of like." um uh, Bourbon Bourbon Street in New Orleans. That's sort of what it looks like. Gone. And um, but the good news is, Ebor City stood strong, and they said, "No, we're keeping our chickens." Dang it! So they're still chickens.
3: So, so they're not just loose everywhere. There's pride in the chickens. They're part of the community. Right,
1: it's a thing. <laughs> it, it's an actual. It's an actual thing. They're they're proud of them, and they're super cute. Like they're just running around, having a good time, doing what chickens well, I, do.
3: I'll I'll be honest. The the opening of this show has not gone the way I envisioned that it would. But but interesting <laughs> uh, to, to learn a little bit about Ybor City. I know we we all have uh we all have our stones. That's where we have our stones. So if you go by the the Walk of Fame, King Corona, um, you see yeah. it right in front of King Corona. We we have a. Uh, obviously april kicked this off your your lovely wife i think it was a christmas present originally had got you a smoke alone cigar dojo stone and then i was able to get uh uh, a flavor odyssey stone right next to it so um so if you grab a photo of it share it please um
1: if you share it and you use if you use hashtag dojo stone you share it on the Dojoverse with hashtag dojo stone you get a special digital uh, badge for that. So uh so I don't get
3: face. a badge for paying for the stone. <laughs> you didn't pay
1: for our stone, you dingling. <laughs>
3: I paid for the flavor of the stone. <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's get You gotta go to Ebor right. City, Randy. You gotta go to Ebor City. I gotta go see the chickens. I gotta go see the chickens. All right, yeah, so you gotta go see the chickens. Um, so i'm I, i'm honored to be here thank you so much uh again for uh for inviting me to host it, it, you know and and you know you always tell the story um and you've, you've told it many times on the show you know we we, we travel together as, as a group for Do- dojo as we uh, as we provide media coverage uh for the cigar industry randy we, too we, quiet uh,
2: somebody wants everyone wants you to turn yourself up just so you know
3: really Boy, that's something we've never heard before. Um, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> that's a first. All right. <laughs> all, right, all right. So, um, so I, I went up a couple notches. Let me know how, how we're going doing here. Um, so we, we often end up late at night, smoking cigars, poolside, chit chatting. And, uh, and it, it seems to always uh, enamor you guys. Um, my, my knowledge of cigar br- or, I'm sorry, of, of beer brands. And, um, and so I was so excited when you hit me up about the, the idea for the show tonight. Um, and, and so everyone listening, a peek behind the curtain of how these shows come together sometimes. Uh, I get a call, um, clearly, several cocktails into the evening. And, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and we've got Eric, Jordan, probably Matt Hall, maybe Scott on speakerphone. Everybody's, in, 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 you know, everyone's making all this noise. Eric goes, okay, best way to tell you, the, na- the title of the show is going to be called Beer, how did we get here? Uh, so, uh, Eric, I, I I beg a little bit of patience because what I ended up pre- preparing for tonight's show is a little bit different than what you asked for. But as I as I did some deep diving into the beer brands that uh, America, the American beer culture is is uh, you know founded in. Uh, I, I realized, you know, a lot of these brands go back to the 1800s. You know, pre-prohibition, um, they've they've all had to overcome a variety of different things between wars and uh, and prohibition and and all these things. And it was always really uh, fascinating to me how a brand like Coors or Anheuser Busch could have existed before. Uh, alcohol was illegal in America for 13 years, and they're they're still around today. And in some cases, you know, the largest brands um, there are. So I did have to go a little bit deeper into just American history uh, than what we had originally discussed. But um, but I think it's going to be a fun uh, c- kind of uh, beer history. Uh, conversation that we get to have tonight about some of these brands um that you know people in your generation grew up with you know in the 40s but uh but 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 so so what we're talking about tonight and everyone knows me as being uh uh so craft focused um we're going way back we're going before crap all right (laughs) yeah yeah now randy uh hey there we go
1: how did we get here so randy here's the deal as we started thinking about this show and you started preparing for the show and we started preparing for the show we got to realize that this could theoretically be a ultimately maybe a two or three part sort of thing Yep. And um, because there's just so much. So really what fascinates me, Randy, um, oh, real quick, Randy, I'm smoking H uh, H99 by Drew Estate. Uh, some people asked. Um, yep. Yep. Oh, no, you're not go. following
2: the theme of the show because I'm going. Sorry. Sorry. Teensy little baby cigarillo, T52 cigarillo.
3: Wow. Oh, okay. What do you got, Randy? I am staying on on true theme of the show and, and a little homage to, <laughs> to your trip out there. Uh, I'm going to be smoking the American by ah. J.C. Newman. Uh, so we're, we're talking about American history of beer. You're going to be at J.C. Newman at the party tomorrow. Um, this is a fantastic cigar. I know I've smoked it on Flavor Odyssey uh, in the past. but See if uh, I can toast
2: th- this thing for three hours.
3: Now, Jordan, Jordan do we got, a, we got a
1: studio audience tonight? The
0: boys we there? sure where, do! Where we got-
2: Look at them. Hey. There they are. Hi, Scotty. Hey,
0: Scotty. Hey. How we doing? You guys couldn't
3: have picked what a do you better, guys sm-
0: better episode. This is right up my alley. My redneck roots are coming out full force. I got my little <laughs> T-52 lit up. I got me a tall okay. boy, a ham sitting here cracked. Oh, she yes. a creamy bit of
3: tastiness Damn. right there. So I'm ready to oh, rock. Yeah. How about you guys? <laughs> nice. <laughs> we, we're nice. ready to rock. No, so I, so I, Randy. I, I, love, I what, love the selection of industrial light lager. In uh, hams. I also am uh, kind of going in a similar theme. I'm going with the Montucky yeah. cold snack. Uh, so, uh, uh, again, an, uh, n- another American light lager. How about you, Eric? You, okay. got, a, you got a beverage there with you? So, uh, tonight I am going with the Yingling, uh,
1: which we will man. be talking about on the show. My man. At some point. Um, but, Randy, the, so what I was getting to before I got into the cigars and stuff was. Um, What fascinates me is the fact that it kind of. The beer world, in a a sort of a way, reminds me a little bit of the cigar world in that um, the pal. Didn't you say. No. Didn't you say the keyword? No. No, I did not say that. That reminds me of something. You
3: should
2: know to never say that.
1: No, okay. So. Uh, if I said that, that was completely by mistake. But Randy, what I what fascinates us is the fact that the palates have changed so much in beer. But how did how did it all evolve? Like we we did the whole flavor odyssey beer uh, journey in Germany, the Germany beer uh, journey not too long ago. Yep. And that sort of like spurred this idea was like, Got how it. did we eventually get to where we are today, and so that's what you have uh, prepared a presentation and or a conversation that we're going to talk about today. You know how how did we go from Yingling to the uh, the, the triple IPAs and all the stuff that we have? Now we won't get that far, Randy, tonight. No, but we will cover the base. <laughs> we're, we're going to cover the basics. We're going to get. We're going to present the milestones that that are the sort of the uh, the landing pad for where we'll eventually go with this topic.
3: Yeah, no, I, I think that's perfectly said. Uh, you know, what, what I have prepared really are the milestones there, you know, again, some of the brands that we're going to talk about or some of the brands that, that launched um, beer as we know it today, as, as it's developed, we're going to finish, um, uh, you know, still before the craft movement, um so so we're uh, we're not going to take 3 hours of your Friday night to to bring you all the way to the milkshake hazy IPAs of uh, of today. Um but 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 to your point I love the idea of doing um you know who knows you know in a, in a couple weeks couple months uh doing a follow up show and uh and then talking about how craft uh did evolve in the 90s from microbrew um, and then uh, you know it's an industry that we talk about uh, the the bubble bursting. Um, so to your point, there are a lot of parallels uh, to the cigar industry where um, these styles um, and trends have kind of come up and gone away. Bubbles have burst. Um, you, you know, large VC equity firms have come in and changed the 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 landscape. Is uh from where we are today but again we're, we're i'm already getting ahead of myself we're gonna we're gonna take it back we're gonna take it okay, all yeah. the way back take it all the way back oh so jordan do you have some
1: like do you have some like sort of music that's like you know like where you're like uh, you it's back. like a uh yeah no, taking you back. Crap, uh,
2: uh, the closest i can get is oh that's pretty good <laughs> hey hey good. Uh, for on demand <laughs>
3: For On Demand. That was pretty good, Jordan. Okay, so so I, I, I yeah. did want to just establish real quick where we are as an industry. Uh, so the okay. beer industry, as we sit here today in 2022, there are 6,600 breweries and importers in the United States. Pre-Prohibition, there wow. was only 2,400. We are at a point in, in this country's history in beer that is more than double what we had ever seen before Prohibition. Uh, it is a $331 billion industry that provides over $100 billion in wages to over 2 million Americans, myself included. Uh, we, As an industry, we generate $55 billion in taxes and account for 1.6% of all the the products produced here in our great country. Uh, so- Wow, so be, that's, yeah, incri- so, that's an incredible number right there, Randy. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. You know, so many people think of uh, our country for for steel, for agriculture, uh, so many things that that we produce. You know, beer is uh, you know very much a major part of this country's production and, 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 and economy. <laughs> now, Randy, <laughs> just think of
1: think of that. Wait, before you go there, Jordan, think of um, that in comparison to how tiny the premium cigar industry, like. A lot of, uh, we think the premium cigar industry, it's a big industry. There's no question about it, right? It's a big industry. There's a lot of money in the premium cigar industry. But like comparing it to the beer industry, we're just
3: such a tiny
1: hair sliver of, of that, right? I mean.
3: Yeah. No, no, no. It's so true. It's, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, it's something that we've always said, you know, I've I've had the great fortune to work in the beer industry for 20-plus uh, years of my life now, and it's something that we've always talked about, you know, th- through a recession, through economies, ups and downs. When people are happy, they're going to drink. When people are sad, they're going to drink. When people are, are down on their luck, they still drink. You know, um, I think that that is one thing that, you know, cigars, in my experience, my personal imp- impression is that it, it is more of a luxury item that you know and in, in the tough times you know cigars might be something that suffers and that we have to take out of our lives and uh you know for anyone tuning in that isn't really like tied into this industry you know that's one of the things that really allured me to it is is the, the whole culture of of taking a moment away from the the rush and and you know rumble of of your regular life to take 90 minutes and just enjoy a oh yeah. cigar and, and, and you know, relax and just like take it in, you know, um, and, and it kind of forces you into that mode. I like that a lot. And uh, and but but you're right. Yeah. C- cigars are, are such a small part of uh, of American life and especially, you know, it's so regional as well. You know where you are, it's a, a much more common place thing for for a group of folks to be in the park playing cards and smoking a cigar versus where i'm at in california where uh, i I'm, I'm sure someone would throw something at me if i was sitting in a public park smoking a cigar. <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> but uh but but not only is it a huge part of our economy it's part of our foundation and our roots it was actually found in a in a diary of a member of the Mayflower that the reason for stopping in Plymouth Rock was that they were running out of the essential victuals especially the beer. I mean think about that. They came here fr- from England across the pond looking for a place to harvest their 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 their, their produce they, they want to like set up land. You think any at any point they would have intentionally chosen New England of all places, you know, with the the extreme weather you know, they should have ended up much further down the coast for anywhere from Virginia to Florida would have made so much more sense to like start a society uh, in, in this country but because they were out of beer and they needed to, to stop somewhere <laughs> and brew some beer they, they ended up stopping in, in Plymouth Rock and so that's always been a, a really fun story that I've enjoyed That like, th- that's how far back and how like literally ingrained in American culture beer actually has always been Wow! I beer. felt the
1: same way tonight when I was driving down uh, Missouri Street here in Clearwater and I was like, "I can't drive any further. I need to stop right now and get me some Yingling." <laughs> and so that—that that is what happened. And that's planting your
3: roots. You're like
1: you're like a pilgrim. I, Look at you. I'm a, essentially a pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> I am stopped at the ABC, and boom. All right, keep going.
3: Uh, well, well, yeah. So, so you know, throughout the 1700s. Uh, colonies uh, established here in the United States and it's regularly documented that every one of the colonies as America was growing w- had a central building. They were mostly common breweries where different families could go in and brew their families rations of beer for the season. And so so it's kind of a shared uh, area. And by 1770, George Washington and others were actually petitioning to boycott beer from England. Now keep in mind, they came here looking for uh you know lack of persecution religious freedom and uh, and so you know there was clearly some angst towards the the motherland of England but it, but it says something that by 1770 we had established enough beer enough of a of a source and 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 culture of a beer here that it was believed by our founding fathers and and the leaders of this country that we could now not only do without it but we should like actively not bring in beer from england anymore uh and and ironically to know that like it was that much of a part of everyday culture in 1770 and a mere 150 years later a vile and hideous woman N- named Carrie Nation became the poster child of the temperance movement. Uh, Carrie Nation had lost her husband to alcoholism and was part of the church and used, uh, used religion and family, uh, family, uh, you know, pride to turn people against alcohol. And, and one of my favorite stories that literally makes no sense to me that's Carrie Nation. You guys see a picture here. What did here you call her? Carrie Nation. No, is
2: her name. I, you think you, ca- you called her like a demon or something? Oh,
3: I, I, I believe, I believe I said she's a vile and hideous woman. Ah,
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, close enough.
3: <laughs> yeah. jeez, so, Randy. Uh, <laughs> well,
1: I'm well, good here's friends the thing. with Carrie. She was, <laughs> so she thing. was the very, she, Randy. She was the very first Karen in the United States. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that is such an amazing analogy and so aptly proper uh, to, to make that connection she was the first karen so so this woman that you see here on your screen was famous for the quote that no man's lips that touch alcohol shall ever touch mine and i'm looking at this woman and thinking how on earth did a campaign about not kissing her and like work <laughs> like are like, like are you kidding me <laughs> so uh so, yeah so, so she basically uh, convinces uh, a lot of people that men it, it was it was a very sex uh divisive thing that you know men were known to be the beer drinkers even though classically and historically women were always the brewers in in the homes you know and we've talked about that like you said on on the german um uh, uh shows that we've done on make Clavor me a sandwich Odyssey.
2: and make me a beer
3: that's right that's right it was it was it was part of the kitchen duties of of the wife of the family to be the family brewer and so it is kind of ironic that it became this you know men who drink are are red-eyed devils is another one of the quotes that she was famous for and that hatchet in her hand she became super famous for going into uh Bars, you know, liquor establishment, and busting b- uh, barrels and busting bottles of rum with her hatchet, and and having a whole you know mob of, of women out there boycotting uh, these uh, wow. establishments. And so, um, so what's funny is we always talk about prohibition as being this 13-year uh, period of of the country being dry. The reality was, by the time the 18th Amendment was ratified in 1919. Uh, taking place in, in 1920 is when prohibition officially started federally. 27 states had already created non-drinking laws. So half the country had already been dry for about six years before it became a federal uh, mandate that all possession, manufacturing, and sale of alcohol was prohibited throughout the country.
1: Uh, now, Randy, we, Randy, we see that today Essentially, with the FDA in cigars, I mean it's not that far off from from what we're dealing with uh, currently with the Federal uh, d- uh, Drug Administration, uh, Food and Drug Administration, and they're wanting to end you know us our ability to smoke cigars. Now, there's no uh, there's no Karen with a hatchet, but it doesn't really matter. It's still uh, it's still the same out- outcome. So we gotta you know continue to fight that. And those. Was, some of these battles are still going on right randy
3: no ex- exactly you know it might not be carrying with a hatchet but but you know the the marketing tactics have just changed now it's commercials trying to convince people that children are getting their hands on cigars and are going to become addicted to nicotine because uh, you know look there's there's two major portions of, of this industry there, there's the one that we're heavily involved in, in premium cigars and uh there's so many great advocates you know nick perdomo i i i love a lot of the things nick melillo has said you know to take a look at the the documentary hand rolled we'll, we'll uh, give you a, a great idea of of where we're at and how it's being spun to, to be said that you know children are, get their hands on these the cigars we're smoking here are are twelve to twenty dollars a piece. They're sold in in affluent, high end brick and mortar stores. Like this is not the the product that um, that they're 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 really going after. And you know the 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 grape flavored Swisher sweets. You know, say what you will about them. There's a a, a huge distinction between the ninety nine cent five pack of Swisher sweets versus premium tobacco and cigars that we smoke. Yeah. Right. So, but 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 all all that being said, um, it, you know, we should learn here. And here's the thing: during that period of prohibition, that's that's when uh, Al Capone had his rise. That's when uh, you know the uh, the illegal uh, bootleggers' um, crime overran the streets because of the illegal alcohol trade industry. And, and, you know, what we learned as a nation and we seem to be forgetting as we now turn um, these type of temperance movements towards tobacco is all that that prohibition did was create an underbelly of crime in, in, in our country that became completely uncontrollable. And it only stopped when we reversed the decision to prohibit alcohol. Yeah, because ulti- ultimately we we're all told growing up we that- we have to w- drink f- <laughs> well <laughs> in our blood. <laughs> I, I, I think I think what what people really ca- capture or, you know latch onto is we're raised believing that that this is a free country and that we're free to make those decisions of our own right. I'm not telling anybody right. that they should be drinking or that they should be smoking, but I also uh, you know abhor the idea that someone's telling me that I can't uh right and so so i I think that's what it comes down to is is, and and a lot of people you know get caught up in the in the health conversations and, and whatnot it's like no it's much simpler than that it's i'm not telling you that you need to you know adhere to my beliefs but stop asking me to adhere to yours
2: speaking of all this uh sensei do you care if i tell this that story that happened to me yesterday
1: I don't know. What what's the st- <laughs> st- What happened to you? Oh, uh,
3: yeah. No, yeah. Tell the story. So, uh, oh, so so the story. Saying if you have to ask permission, you should probably think twice
2: about it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, as I get home and like, uh, you know, this time of year, we've got like 15 Amazon boxes show up daily. Uh, one box its not the brown Amazon box. It's this different looking box. Uh, and its it's addressed from me to some guy I don't know. So I'm like, at first, I'm like, okay. Maybe it was like somehow, a, you know, we're doing the, the cigar uh, donation program right now. Maybe somebody, maybe yep. somehow somebody sent the cigars to my house instead of, instead of the dojo headquarters. So I open this thing, and it's just like sketchier and sketchier as I open it, like weird packaging inside, and then there's like a Walmart bag, and I pull this out, and then there's another box inside that, pull this box out, open up that box, and there's inside this is a two vacuum sealed bags and it's just a whole bunch of weed. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> wax, all kinds of crazy, like wax stuff and vape stuff and just like a ton of weed that was, I'm guessing they must have like it, been shipping to a state that like it wasn't legal and so they just picked a random Colorado address as the sender address so that it, when, mm. if it didn't go to the guy it was supposed to go to, which it didn't because they got his address wrong, it would come back to a Colorado, some random Colorado address and just came to my house it's the most surprising package i've ever opened so everybody wants
1: to know jordan did you and sarah get totally stoned (laughs)
3: wow that is that is really so now i don't know what to do random (laughs) well it's not that random you know you're
2: you're talking prohibition stuff it's, yeah.
3: well, I don't mean the story I mean Random oh, yeah, that a box that sh- of weed shows up yeah, at your sh- doorstep <laughs> yeah.
2: Shows up to my house I, I, It was so funny because like The package was so sketchy that like As I'm opening it I'm trying to imagine All the scenarios that it could be And one of the scenarios is like anthrax Like That was like 25 years ago oh, I'm still God. thinking about that That could be a possibility <laughs> like, What is
0: hilarious. in this thing?
1: That is so I- bizarre <laughs> That they picked that- your address
2: Bunch of wax, boys. Anybody want some uh Gumby Goo?
3: I think I got that. <laughs> some Ganja. <danger. laughs> Alright, so so um yeah. Yeah, yeah Jordan, why don't you throw the next one up, but leave me and Eric off. I really thought this was fun as I was doing some research. Uh I just wanted to share some some photos from the nineteen twenties during Prohibition. Uh again these breweries existed in the 1800s and so they had to pivot into other industries as you can see there miller was making soda paps was making a malt extract that was being marketed as a, a, as as a <laughs> as a, as an addition to your baby's milk um i don't know how, how well you can see so, some of those pictures yinglings uh, uh, ice cream truck, Anheuser Busch ice cream delivery vehicle there, and then the Coors malted milk. Uh, I thought this was really fun to find these original uh, kind of advertisements, as as they had to, you know, pivot again. Malted to, milk to... that
2: makes sense. I like that.
3: It, it does, right? They're they're using their their same uh, their same vendors and bringing in some of the same products. But fi- but finding different ways and and again ice creams you know malts a lot of people don't don't make this connection I didn't until I worked uh, in in beer for the first time and I actually used to sell uh, half pallets at a time to our local Dairy Bell um, is that uh, you know malted barley uh, concentrated sugar the same exact concentrated sugar that we make beer out of is the exact same thing you find in a chocolate malt ball or yep. or in a classic you know milkshake style malt um
2: i like how like coors uh you know they, they actually did something that like made sense and then miller's like we make yellow beer maybe we can make <laughs> yellow soda <laughs> <laughs> i don't know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fair. know. It's, yeah yeah no
3: no it's it, it's totally fair um and and so so then but thankfully you know after 13 years of wait oh, hold, hold
1: on hold on randy it yeah. does make you wonder real quick you know if cigars became illegal what would our brands Ooh. pivot to today like you know maybe Nick Perdomo does like a mustache wax maybe uh, <laughs> maybe Jonathan Drew sells like steampunk glasses uh, I love it. maybe Terrence Riley is doing shake weights you know I don't know I mean <laughs> they gotta
3: pivot this is They're the greatest night of our lives to, they gotta pivot to <laughs> something i i i i see a future cigar dojo article in here <laughs> jack uh, so, no, exactly. <laughs> so thankfully after 13 years uh president franklin d roosevelt had he, he finally stepped up and said this is crazy and and enacted the 21st amendment which repealed prohibition in america so in 1933 we as a country came back to our roots and alcohol was legal again, um, and we've never looked back. And as I said to to start this, and where the alcohol industry is bigger, stronger, and more booming than it ever has been in any part of our country's history, which actually reminds me something. It's Friday night, Dojo, and we have a show tonight that, in my opinion, is Hall of Fame worthy, hosted by a Cigar Dojo legend, a community member that rose from the ranks of the original app to one of your favorite on-air personalities, co-host of the greatest pairing show on the airwaves today, Flavor Odyssey, and one and only Hall of Fame hopeful, Randy Griggs. Tonight's episode of Smoke Night Live is sponsored by a Hall of Fame retailer, JR Cigars, one of the world's largest online cigar stores. JR's inventory ranges from everyday bundled cigars to incredibly high-end boxes, plus a large selection of cigar accessories. Enjoy the best prices on your favorite brands like Romeo and Julieta, Monte Cristo, Crown Heads, Davidoff, and many, many more. Make sure to try any one of their exclusive lines like the Drew Estate Nightshade or our favorite, the Limited Edition Cigar Dojo 10th Anniversary Champagne by Perdomo. Celebrate over 50 years of excellence and stock up on your favorite cigars today.
1: That was nice. Nice. Yeah. Been
0: All big. right. So I love
1: it. Sorry. It's a Randy's
3: read on Smoke Night Live, baby. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you noticed I was I was kind of putting some kind of subliminal hints in there towards something mm, that yeah. may have uh, yes, happened recently that might not have gone quite as I believe it should have. <laughs> there might have been a miss or something in there, but I, uh <laughs> I, I i digress i digress so i'm giving you a bit of a primer on on uh beer in american history um and now on to the part that you were really asking me to do now the Eric, part we actually was... wanted to do the real show. exactly no. yeah, <laughs> <I've>... <laughs>
1: now hold on randy hold on now this is uh right. this is episode 358 of smoke Night live we're talking yes sir about beer and if you just joined us we asked Randy to come on because there. Randy is the preeminent beer expert. You may, you guys may or may not know this, but this dude is a legit beer expert. And we're lucky to have Randy. And we got to thinking uh, we, we want to kind of go through some of the beer history. Eventually, maybe another part, maybe two or three parts of this show, we'll eventually get to where we are in the craft beer industry today. But in this episode, Randy, we're just setting the groundwork. We're laying down the foundation of beer in America. And you've already sort of covered uh, a little bit for us uh, about Prohibition and about uh, how this country was founded and how beer was a part of it. But now we start to get into the brands maybe that we've heard a little bit about and we understand a little bit about.
3: Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Thank you for that setup. Um, so we're gonna start with the oldest brewery in America. And that is none other than the bottle of beer in your hand right now, Eric. Woo! DG yeah, Youngling and Son. It's young- uh, oh, it Youngling. Oh, it's Youngling? Is it no, Youngling? That was Yingling. Yingling oh. Yinglings. I'm sorry, Yinglings. I thought I was I thought it was pronounced Yingling. It is pronounced Yingling. And uh, and and it's funny. I just because... said you
1: were a beer expert.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking. I... Ye I'm um... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well. What's funny is it, originally, so this German immigrant um, c- comes over, David Yingling, and he he, he he had this freaking guy he had to change. He anglicized <laughs> his name. The, the original spelling actually, uh, the J is is a as a as the Y is supposed to be a J and there's umlauts over at least two of the letters. All <laughs> the <way>. letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All the letters and umlauts Uh, so he, there's equal a carrot in J. there. <laughs> uh, but, there's but, an but equal sign but, uh, <laughs> founded in 1829 uh, Yingling is the oldest operating brewery in America today and mm. uh, is actually being run, and it still has uh, a Yingling as the CEO. It is a family-run what? business and it has always been so. Um, and so it was, uh, you know, I, so I, I wanted to find fun facts to tell about each one of these. Jesus um, <laughs> Christ him um so in in 1933 when president roosevelt had uh had repealed prohibition that very day a massive uh order of beer shows up in a truck at the white house from yingling as a as a as an homage to him as a thank you to him and it's and it's just this funny story because it was made legal that day, but to brew beer is a three-week-long process, oh, <laughs> so oh, said it again. <laughs> yeah, so it was just kind of funny that uh, they had they had beer ready to go on the day that it became legal. So uh, there's definitely some questionable legality of, of <laughs> the beer brewed they were for the uh, White for House. The, they're
2: at <laughs> <laughs> the no, so man.
3: so lo- located in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, that's uh, that. That's a brand that so many people have talked about because they've never gone for a full nationwide um, distribution. We've never been able to have Yinglings here on the West Coast, in fact. And and it's funny because people talk about it and and they have such uh, such a deep, rich history in the brewery that i hear when you i've never actually made uh, made the voyage uh to to yinglings myself but apparently they they'll on their tour they'll take you to their beer caves where they store beer in barrels and and there's like these secret uh you know tunnels down there and stuff which also kind of uh aids the whole concept of there's a lot of belief that they were still operating illegally during prohibition, they've never been officially like accused of that. Um, but, but again, having a, an entire truckload of beer, uh, minutes after it, it became legal is a, is a pretty damning, uh, a situation to claim yeah. that you weren't illegally brewing beer.
1: <laughs> Randy at the, um, if you take the JC Newman, uh, tour in Ebor city, um, which is now like, it's sort of like a working museum. Um, there's a couple of interesting things that re, that are sort of similar to what you're saying there. They have a bale of tobacco that's Cuban tobacco that's still – they still have it from back when they could import Cuban tobacco and make uh, – that's how they were making the cigars, of course, back then, pre embargo yeah. Plus, there's a, a staircase that's like a secret staircase where – they would get shaken down by like the mob. Like the mob guys would come in there and like try to shake them down for money. And so they had a secret staircase where the executives could like zip down the staircase and escape at a moment's notice if the uh, wow. if the mob would show up. Kind of similar to the Yingling situation. I'd love yeah. to tour. I'd love to tour Yingling uh, mm. just to see that. But my question to you about Yingling, Randy, is. Knowing what you know about beer, is a lot. Um, what would you say if I asked you what would what would if I drank a Yingling from the 1850s or whatever, or maybe even after right after Prohibition, whatever, from way back then, and I compared it to what I'm drinking now, based on the differences in ingredients and differences in brewing technologies and that sort of thing, how different would this beer be? Can you comment on that? Is there stuff that you could glean that would uh, help us understand the difference in what they were drinking back then?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that question, and I was not at all prepared for it, but I'm so excited to answer because um, I I know the answer. Uh, The answer answer is I want to go two different directions. First and foremost, what I'd like to say that I'm positive of is you'd be shocked at the similarity. It, it, really? you know, that it's what, yeah that's one of the beauties of the brewing process is is we're talking about a multi-hundred year old process that really hasn't changed much from a process standpoint um some of the biggest yeah. um, inv- inventions that have really changed beer is refrigeration and um and the kilning process so those are going to be the biggest things but in pennsylvania and, be- and those caves that i just referenced that they had they didn't understand necessarily um, why it worked out. But by storing it in the caves, they had this natural kind of refrigerated temperature, this lower temperature. And so Mm. they were already kind of accomplishing in in that part of the country. And and you'll see as we go through these slides, most of the breweries, the oldest breweries were in, in the Northeast and were in that colder climate. And as we've talked about with German beer, when they made it illegal to brew during the summer they didn't know why beer tasted better that was brewed in the winter it just did it wasn't until uh, the, the the understanding of microorganisms and yeast and bacteria, which didn't happen in really um, effectively until the late 1700s, 1800s, that um, that we understood that there was such a thing as bacteria, and the refrigeration mm. came along to, to help us with that. But they had this natural refrigerated temperature in the caves, and so so they had the refrigeration. The biggest change that would would have uh, come about in the last hundred years is the kilning process for for the grain so grain back then beer even though it's such a a a major part of of our lives uh grain was primarily harvested and processed for baked goods for flour um, and so there, there is, a, there is a difference in the way that the kilning and the and the uh, and the malting process happens for baked goods versus beer. It's really only been in the last fifty to sixty years that the beer industry is large enough that these agriculture um, agricultural farms that grow grain really started refining the the process to have one process for baked goods and for flour. At, separately from having grain prepared for beer making. And so mm. the 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 starch levels were much higher. It, it, uh, the long chain sugars w- were too complex to be broken down by traditional brewer's yeast. And so the, the beer would have been sweeter. It wouldn't have got as dry. It wouldn't have fermented as dry and as clean as we have it now. So it would have been a little bit sweeter, a little bit less refreshing. Um, as, as a result of that sweetness, they would have added a little bit more hops, um, you know the hop industry has has improved significantly and become more effective, and so you, you had to add a lot more hops to get that bitterness to kind of mask the sweetness that was residual in your beer post fermentation because the grain hadn't been processed fully. It was is what what they call under modified uh, malt is, is the way we reference it now in, in higher levels of modification really just mean that they allow the, the grain, to the seed, the kernel of grain to grow for an extra, literally like we're talking about like a three day extra that they leave it in the silos now before the malting and killing process take place before they were just trying to rush it through and mm. it, it didn't leave as much sugar um, available for the yeast to, to break down. So, Is uh, there any that's, like, so that was that's sort, sort a, of like...
1: That was sort of like the candela of uh, of of beer.
3: (laughs) Is there anybody that like uh,
2: tries to recreate what a beer would have been like from that, that time? Like I know guys will find like an old yeast strain from like,
3: yeah. Pre-prohibition ales. Yeah. Yeah. Pre-prohibition beverages are, are a niche thing, but, but yeah, people will still do it. You can still get your hands on, on under modified grain because again, they still produce it for the baking industry. They just now have kind of two, uh, production cycles uh at, at the at the kilns where they're producing you know the, this batch for the baking industry and then separately they brew a, do a different batch for for the brewing industry um and so so you can still kind of uh you could still kind of uh, uh c- capture that but but again it's not as refreshing and as dry and as clean as the beverages that we're used to today
0: those idiots all right cool let's uh
3: let's move let's move on to the next one yes yes so moving right along uh uh, currently a favorite in the world pabst brewing company uh started by jacob best in 1874 uh pabst was the best selling beer in america in the 1800s and uh and they were the first, they they still proudly market the milestone. They were the first brewery ever in the history of America to sell a million barrels in a single calendar year. Um, One of my favorite things, and you know, it's it's something that's funny about this is this brand had completely died in the 90s and early 2000s. And they literally credit the, uh, you know, the, the, the hipster tight pant wearing folks like Jordan for yeah, I mean, the, the, this huge resurgence, just in the last well, twenty years, uh, where where the, the irony of this like classically known kind of cheaper brand became like, well, they the flagship kind of, beer,
2: they kind of yeah. s- intentionally started that, right? Like, didn't weren't they? Wasn't there like a marketing expert like found that a certain yeah. bar in uh, Portland was, you know, these all these hipsters happened to like it, and he pushed that. Yes. And yes. now that's well, why all these cheap beers are kind of a, a thing again to begin with.
3: Right. I mean look at the the one I'm drinking right now, Montucky, is only, you know, right. a handful of years old, but they d- developed this brand and this beer very specifically to go after that same niche, but but yes, they have absolutely owned that they've taken that and they've pushed it but it happened organically originally to, to your point is they found that this was happening and then they they jumped all over it and they've leveraged the heck out of it you've got to go if you haven't seen it jordan you've got to go to montucky cold snacks website they have this store they have the most fun gear that I'm I'm totally ordering the ugly christmas sweater that that they just announced uh that, that's co- yeah. coming out and and Chad, I, I can't do it in the new studio, but but maybe I'll go outside after the show and we'll do a video <laughs> of me shotgunning one of these bad boys. Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm totally in for that. But one of the most fun things that I found when studying PAPS in preparation for the show is during Prohibition, the, the one of the industries that they had pivoted into was uh, they, they created a, ch- a cheese company and it was PAPS that it originally created processed cheese food, spreadable cheese and cheese slices. As soon as the law changed in 1933 and they can make alcohol again, they immediately sold that company to a small startup company that was coming online at the time called Kraft. And I just think that is so funny that Kraft cheese slices and spreadable cheese that we know and is part of you know every American's childhood memories was actually created by paps during prohibition
1: and we know that uh, we know that Robert Kraft has a happy ending so you know, it all worked out <laughs> it all worked out in the end all right what what, what, what next Randall
3: all right so moving from paps in the uh, in 1844 comes a brand that you know and love. Eric and I and I genuinely think this is actually why you wanted to do the show is so that we could <laughs> talk Schlitz. about Schlitz Brewery, and there was no there was no brewery story that was more interesting as I was doing the reading than Schlitz Brewery. So so I, I I'm gonna break break off a, a, a little bit here and to tell you guys so Schlitz was created in Milwaukee in a restaurant. By a 34-year-old named Austin Krug. That was in 191848. A, a mere eight years later, he passed away.
2: Well, Doofus.
3: well, the, his <laughs> his wife then married his bookkeeper, and his bookkeeper took over the brewery. It was it was the bookkeepers who, whose last name was Schlitz. So it was it was, was changed. Yeah, exactly. So, so, and uh, it just seems kind of odd to me, right? The the the, the bookkeeper ends up marrying yeah. the wife after the husband mysteriously passes away. I'm just saying. I, I'm not I'm not, I'm not accusing anyone of anything here. Oh, but oh. but his boss dies. He marries the wife and gets the company. Randy, saying. we should do like
2: a Dateline episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, where's a Keith Morrison? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's Keith Morrison? We need him. Dang it.
2: Let's interview uh, him.
1: This man. was uh, so Schlitz, Randy, was my dad's favorite beer, and one of my favorite things about Schlitz is the tagline that they had on every can that I can remember. And it just said at the top, "A kiss of the hops." There's a kiss and of the I'm, hops. I'm imagining Randy that that might be one of the first times that hops was like marketed like nowadays they market hops like crazy, but back then, I don't know. Like, was that a thing or was that like the first, was that, was that when hops was sort of like introduced as, yeah. uh, So
3: as I I was looking into it from a marketing standpoint, you're right. No one else was, was really pushing hops, but they understood hops enough. So what I read (laughs) with the backstory to that campaign was that uh, women didn't drink beer, in this period of time as much because they found it was too bitter and and they blamed the hops and so that was what the campaign was was to try and and telegraph that it wasn't an overly bitter beer there was just a kiss of the hops a kiss. people people knew that hops were in beer and that that's what drove the bitterness but they used the marketing campaign to say oh no 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 it's not overly bitter you should try our beer because it just has a kiss of the hops
2: no um they also have another tagline that on the can that is the beer that made Milwaukee. They made famous. Milwaukee famous. So yeah, because of yeah, that, yeah. I say I gave him a third tagline that is the beer with three taglines, and the third tagline <laughs> is that tagline that I gave him. <laughs> I don't know if that. But makes Randy sense. Don't,
1: didn't. Randy didn't. They have another tagline that you really liked.
3: The other tagline that I really liked was. Um, Oh, so it wasn't a tagline. So, so th- this is the most fun part about Schlitz. Schlitz is still taught in college marketing courses to this day of what not to do. It's it's amazing. They, they, they call it the, the marketing campaign that took a famous brewery and made it infamous. And it was the downfall of Schlitz. Schlitz during the 1950s, it was the number one selling beer in 1942 and stayed that way for the next 15 years. And, and during the 50s, kind of like how we talk about Placencia and Agonorsa. it really just depends on the year um but they were neck and neck so you know some years they were number 1 and Budweiser was number 2 and and vice versa in 1957 they they were feeling the pressure of Anheuser-Busch uh, Anheuser-Busch had launched Budweiser had launched the King of Beers tagline uh which we'll talk about uh here in, what in a minute year? In 1957 oh wow they they, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, not all that long ago. Here, it, it, in 1957, Anheuser Busch became the best-selling beer in America, and that that title has never changed. They they have been the number one selling beer in America since 1957, every single year since. Um, but Schlitz was right there. I, I, it was it was a coin toss of who was gonna Sheesh. make it, and so Schlitz, uh, by now, the bookkeeper also ends up dying in a mysterious uh, boating accident <laughs> and and the entire brewery gets turned over to his nephew. Well then the nephew Miller. no 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 the oh. nephew ends up, <laughs> the n- n- nephew gets pushed out of the company and the uh, CFO becomes the, the president of the company and so now it's the the bean counters running the brewery for the first time and they determine they need a marketing campaign to beat Budweiser and so they come up with um, this whole campaign about modernizing their brewery and becoming the most efficient brewery in the world and it was very very successful for some time but uh, what was happening was they were that was when they started using corn syrup as an ingredient it, it shortened the fermentation time of the beer. It lowered the the overall cost of goods for the brewery, and so they were making you know headlines as being the the best run brewery, the most efficient brewery. They had the lowest overhead. They were the most profitable brewery. They end up taking over Primo in Hawaii, and within five years of taking over Primo, Primo became seventy percent of all the beer sold on on the, in the state of Hawaii on the Seven Islands. Um, but then you know things started going awry. They wanted; they kept trying to shorten the time of the beer. They kept trying to make it more efficient, and they started uh, cheapening the beer. And at one point, they uh, they had to have at the time the the largest recall in beer's <coughs> history, as they were adding a fining agent because beer takes a little while to settle out. It's it's very cloudy until it has lagered long enough. And then it becomes the clear beverage that we know it as today. Well, they wanted to kick it out the door and turn over the beer faster. So they started adding a finding agent and that's where they really misstepped because that finding agent ended up coagulating and, uh, you know, the references in the newspaper were did you find snot in your beer and and at the bottom of the beer oh. there was this thick mucusy texture no. um, so, so they had to do a recall on the beer that was a massive financial loss for for them it hurt their brand significantly and in a wildly bad decision they thought to come up with a commercial campaign that is now taught in in university marketing classes and is referred to the drink schlitz or i'll kill you campaign
0: uh- <laughs> yes
1: Dude, yeah, i love it yeah
3: you, you know i'm gonna send you a link you guys if, if you're watching and you enjoy this go to youtube and just type That's in or go amazing. to google and type in Drink Schlitz or I'll kill you. There's four commercials. Um, the the, f- the first was a fictitious boxer. It's it, it it's this boxer. He's just come in from the ring, and and a narrator comes on and he says, "Hey champ, I see you're drinking a beer, a Schlitz. There, we'd like to take your Schlitz from you and give you the other beer." And again, this is this was very targeted at Budweiser. And 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 the boxer says to the camera, he says, "Oh, you're going to take my Schlitz." I'm going to treat you like Picasso and put you on the canvas. And and it's, it's like very aggressive. Then there's another one where it's like a, 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 a lumberjack and he's got a pet cougar for some reason sitting there, you know, next yeah. to him at his campfire. And they say, Hey, can we take your slits and have you try the other top selling beer? And the, the, cougar starts growling and, and, and swiping at the camera and he threatens to kill the person who, who's trying to take his shit away i love this
2: <laughs> it sounds like is this that where talladega got that from like that sounds like straight out of talladega
1: this is amazing yeah yeah you it gotta, would probably go. work today randy it would probably if, work You know, today. It,
3: it, it, I don't disagree with you. If you launched that, like, on social media, channels, <laughs> if it was a TikTok commercial, yeah. people would, it would go viral, right? So, um, but, uh, you know, the, the belief was it was very intimidating. It was way too aggressive for the time. And, and it was, and they had to end up pulling the whole campaign. And the, and, the, and the company completely folded within a few years after that. Like, Schlitz? the. the, the yeah, yeah, they, Schlitz failed as a company. They went under. Uh it's produced today by Pabst. Uh as Pabst bought the naming rights <laughs> and Pabst now makes Schlitz um as as a brand, but the Schlitz company uh failed shortly after the <laughs> Schlitz uh, or kill you campaign.
2: Wow. That would have succeeded today. Come on. Now, All right. Yeah. Now we're,
1: uh, we've, we've gone super long. So let's get into the next. All right. Uh, all right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Let's, let, let's cruise through as, as, as we were just talking about Anheuser Busch and Budweiser is the most, uh, famous beer or best selling beer in America. Um, it's funny because they actually took the name from a, uh, a company in, in, um, in Europe that makes a Budweiss and what is advice? called the, the Beer of Kings. And so uh, with no creativity at all, they went with Budweiser and just flip-flopped it and determined that they were the king of beers. Um, they, they now, uh, you know, proudly, and it's funny, because again, you know, one of the downfalls of Schlitz was when it came out that they were using corn syrup. Well, Anheuser-Busch making their industrial lager with rice they now, in their commercials to this day, proudly use rice and rice uh, sugar as part of their brewing process. Um, you know, one of the things that that you know, good beer guys like me, you know, kind kind of uh, a scoff at is uh, is they they do concentrated brews. So they they brew basically like a twelve to thirteen percent beer, and then they water it up to the four percent beer that um that they can and so uh you, you know they water it
2: up or they water it down
3: fair enough i was in, in volume they water it up but but ah. yeah they water it down to four four percent and that's that's why to me it's it's not a, a a true you know all grain uh you know properly fermented at uh at packaging f- fermentation Wait, you, you know
2: so they came around 815 1852 but they didn't like get going until
3: the 50s the 1950s yeah they they didn't become the the best-selling beer in america until the 50s that's right that's right 100 years later so they, wow. they were just middling there's a lot of other players at the time schlitz being one of them uh, but they were a huge uh huge uh, they played a vital role in the development of pasteurization um and milk is treated today the way it is because of the processes that Anheuser-Busch created for their beer, so that they could get distribution and have shelf-stable beer and have beer stay fresh for as many months as they're able to, they were also the first brewery to use refrigerated rail cars, and uh, and and kind of created the the platform for. A a, a lot of perishable products in in America today, they, like, really were fundamental in developing the way to keep, uh, you know, use refrigeration and use pasteurization uh, for freshness in general. And and those those learnings are used throughout the beer, cheese, milk industries to this day. That's really all we need to say say about these jerks.
2: (laughs) Nobody likes them. Come on. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm not a fan.
3: I'm not a fan. Now Coors Now though, this one, man, Nick, this a, is only this, a couple this is a couple miles a from my house, Randy. A couple miles from my house. Well this is actually still a beautiful uh, family story. Uh Adolf Coors uh ca- you know came here from Germany looking for an opportunity, was a brewer in Germany and literally ended up in Golden, Colorado because of the water. And so I actually really enjoy that because so many marketing campaigns are built on just fluff and and no real substance to it. But you know, when they talk about the the Rocky Mountain cold uh, water, that is very much why they chose that site where the brewery is is built today. And I don't know if you've had a chance, I know you're real close. If you've ever toured the brewery as you come through the mountains and you see this uh, this facility in this beautiful little valley of the mountains there, Golden's just a beautiful place to, to visit if you guys ever get a chance. Um, but w- one of my mo- most favorite parts of the Coors story a story is that Bill Coors, you know, fifth generation from uh, from the founder, actually is the inventor of the aluminum can as we know it today. And what? Uh, if if you see if what's that?
2: I said, what did he also invent yeah. those cans that stay that that sh- that stay cold? They they show the coldness of the can
3: no that that was a, a much more uh, recent uh, invention. Uh, but but i did just they want to point on. out real, real quick uh, it, it is referred to as the two-piece aluminum can because the entire body and bottom is a single piece and the lid is the separate piece and so when we when we had a brewery get a pallet of cans in it's just the the hollow body with no lid and so that's how it goes through it fills the lid goes on and then there's a ceiling that that wraps the body around the lid, to, to hold. So the hold. So all aluminum cans, as you guys have always known them, this is the two-piece aluminum can. It was invented for a couple different reasons. Uh, you know, at the time that it was invented, the steel cans were, you know, very, very common. Obviously, they were still in glass bottles as well, but steel cans had become a big part of the beer industry. They were not recyclable. They were becoming a major trash problem. They would rust in um, in landfills and then leach um, into the soil, which made the soil uh, unusable for generations to come. And so, the steel cans, the volume of consumption of beer and the steel cans was just not sustainable we we were just you know creating way too much just steel waste that was just going into the into the earth and uh and, and so there, there was some uh there were some environmental um pieces to that but it also keeps the beer cold longer aluminum is a great uh um, uh uh it's a, the the term when it conducts it's a great conductor of temperature and so it holds uh it holds the the beer cold longer so it's also much much lighter so when and and people never think about this and and why aluminum cans uh are so much cheaper to ship is literally just the weight of the glass makes a truck that much more Mm. gas efficient that you use tens and tens and tens of gallons (laughs) <laughs> well that 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 might solve some of it but um but yeah you use a ton more gas when your when your truck is loaded with glass and it's so much heavier and so it was just a a, a much more cost efficient it was better for the beer um the other thing was that um uh, aluminum cans he also when he invented this can they're paraffin lined so paraffin's like a wax basically so there's a wax lining on the inside of aluminum cans which protects the beer from ever touching aluminum, where in the steel cans that wasn't the case. So you did very much get this metal, um, mineraly uh, kind of uh, a penny taste uh, in, in in your cans, and so um, so that was that, that's that's one of the big things that uh, that Coors does, and to this uh, day. Um, Coors Porcelain. So one one of the companies uh, that Coors had pivoted to during uh, Prohibition was they created a porcelain company where they literally make dishes and kitchen bowls and dishes and, and, and place settings. And that company is still going today and, and is a larger company and makes more revenue than Coors Brewery does. No. Mm. Isn't that insane? No true story well keep in mind they're there they also uh and coors the, owns them still coors owns them still but keep in mind they also own the the patent uh and trademark for the aluminum can so when ball makes cans yeah. when uh you know all these other companies make cans they still have to pay royalties Jeez. to two coors for every can made so um, wow. They 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 to this day hold the the trademark and patent for the uh, two piece aluminum can. So that company now, that right invented the can that's the, their their big money maker. Wow. Now, Randy, one of the mm-hmm. worst
1: ideas that Coors had was in the seventies. They had a can. I'm not.
3: You're laughing. You think I'm making this up? <laughs> I'm not just waiting. No, just...
1: <laughs> no, this is true. They had a can. With, at the top had two perforated holes. There was no pop top. And uh-huh. you would just take your thumb and you'd push in the hole. And then you'd push in the smaller hole, which was like a, uh, you
0: Bruiser know, slant.
1: you could drink it, the carb- could drink yeah, it yeah. easily. Yeah. And so, but the problem was when you'd push your thumb in that, that first bigger hole to make a drinking hole, people it were cutting, cutting their face. thumb on the, oh, on the yeah. aluminum. Uh, like, bam. Like, you know, when you push it down. I remember those cans to this day. They they were dangerous, but it was kind of cool. You just like Sounds pop cool. it with your thumb, and then pop it with your thumb, and then you would was coolers. Uh, was
2: Coors the one that came out with like 10, 10 or fifteen years ago? The the vent, the like lid vent, and it had like a, a regular opening, but like a little side opening for to allow air. Uh, to that's go kind of what oh. this was. Yeah, yeah. A similar thing. Yeah.
3: No. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I remember what you mean. Well, and that that was that was the thing with those steel cans too. Is they would have a church key. They called them in the bars where it was, it was a two prong punch and, and they would set it on a little track and they would slide the punch down into the top and it would pop a a large hole Mm. for to drink out of and a small carb hole to allow air in. So it didn't glug and splash in your face. Um, I, I, I don't remember one that could be uh, perforated and punched with your finger. I given you the look carbonation level, yeah. I, I didn't run into that in, in my studies, but I'm gonna have to check that out. It I crazy. just think it's
2: crazy how like strong the loyalty is. You know, kind of like the Pepsi versus Coke kind of thing. But like, I seriously have only drank one Budweiser in my whole life because we're in Colorado and it's we drink Coors. Like, I wouldn't, I would never drink. I've it I've drank one budweiser maybe one bud light ever it's just i'm not gonna do it
3: so i just (laughs) yeah you should you shouldn't i i i could wax on and on about the 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 nefarious business practices of anhydrous just don't wax off all right yeah 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 (laughs) you wax on um but uh, don't wax on but but i I just realized i actually have a a, an, an issue uh with with the next slide. Um, so we're going to go ahead and just uh, (laughs) bypass the next slide. Um, Miller Miller was another one. Nope. Nope. As you can see, uh, but, uh, (laughs) Miller's another one that, that, that is from the 1800s. Uh, Yeah. I'm positive. So we, we will finish with, uh, the 1871 founded anchor brewing company in San Francisco, California. Um, they're famously known Uh, not only for their steam beer but the fact that uh, in 1978 under the uh, appliance the appliance um, family um uh, maytag fritz maytag the the youngest son uh, of the uh, of that company uh bought this brewery it was it was defunct it was going out of business he purchased it and, and went ahead and trademarked the term steam beer. Steam beer had existed for over a hundred years. It was a very common style. The breweries made all over the country. Uh, but when they trademarked the name, uh, everyone else then had to shift from calling their steam beers, steam beers to California common. Um, so Anchor Brewing is uh, is commonly recognized and it's understood that they are the first craft brewery in America and uh very few people know this but liberty ale is the very first ever brewed american ipa and so so while anchor is super famous for um these copper kettles and being right there they're they're the largest manufacturer in san francisco california as a matter of fact and um and so they're they're famous for all these things and people don't realize that they were the ones that started the ipa uh style in general in america and uh and so this is where we leave off tonight eric is at the end of uh, 150 years of industrial loggers being made in comes anchor brewing again from the 1800s uh also like all the other breweries was started by a german immigrant um coming over with with those strong german beer uh you, you know ties and history and it, it all started to change in 1978 when anchor made the first ipa so
1: so what what do you suppose was about that ipa like explain that like what, why, why was that significant what made that significant
3: Sure. Um, so it, it, it was a it was a flavor conversation, right? It, it, you know, Fritz Maytag right. was it was a very rich young man He was passionate about beer and the ingredients, and believed that there was a place in the market for something that was more full flavored, uh, something a little bit more aromatic. You know, hops. Uh, you know, American hops virtually hadn't existed before then, and um, and so that was a big part of it is Cascade hops had just been developed by this, um, by this uh, university in, in Oregon. And uh, so they, were, they had just come out with like the first true American land race of hops. And so uh, Budweiser had, had had tried some Cascade, but they weren't really sure how they were going to incorporate it. And so th- that was th- th- that's really what it is 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 this new hop was developed that was citrusy. It was true American, and he wanted to create a beer that would allow for a base for people to to really showcase this hop um, that no one had ever heard of Cascade, which is ironic because anybody that's ever homebrewed knows you know Cascades. You, you, you know, your, your go-to common every day. You know, it's the, it's the hop that uh, Sierra that here yeah. in Nevada, pale ale famous. But that was, that was like kind of the reasoning behind it is he wanted to get, create a beer and it was his holiday beer. Um, It was just a a one-off Christmas beer that he wanted to make and use these new hops. And so he loaded a ton of hops in, he kind of looked at the, the, um, the English IPA had had existed, you know, forever ago, but was never really uh, something that American breweries ever brewed. And, um, and so that was, that was the birth of the first IPA and and craft beer in America.
1: All right. Now, Randy, before we wrap up the show I have, I think one more question, maybe Jordan has a question or two, but I don't know. But my question to you is during all of this time, like obviously German beers and English beers sort of ruled the world. How on a global scale, how were these American beers? Um, what, what, what were people thinking on a global scale? Were these accepted or were they thought of as second rate? Like how did American beers compare to these amazing, you know, German and English beers? Uh, beers that were prominent at the time?
3: Such a great question. There's where you find parallels more to the wine industry. They were very much considered second rate. Uh, we were considered, the the rest of the world, when it came to the, their beer industries, thought very, very poorly of American uh, beer history because of prohibition. It, it it illustrated how ignorant we were and how we didn't respect the the process and the and the ingredients that went into beer because in in europe especially uh, you know beer uh, you know they have they have uh, you know deities that they believe rule over hops and over grains. Like, like it's a sacred part of their culture. And so just to think that America had created prohibition and now they're making beers with rice, which for many, many years was completely illegal in, in Europe to use other uh, other mm. sugar sources other than barley. So we were thought of as just complete trash and there was mm. zero respect for for our for our beer um, which it, you know the, the juxtapose and, and and again why I say it, it it parallels more the wine is you know it's it's how france thought of our our early winemaking until a napa cab went over to one of the largest uh, french competitions and won the whole thing and that's when napa got put on the map and 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 then we we started having a global reverence and respect for our 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 agricultural processes and our and our and our fermentation processes, we're seeing that now with craft beer. Um, that while we were you know stuck over the all, all this time in industrial lagers, and had no respect once you know over the last 25 years that the craft movement has come on, now the rest of the world looks to America for their trends and looks to emulate what we're doing. And so now we're actually influencing the rest of the world for the first time in in our country's history as we're now the leaders in beer. But during this entire period of all these breweries that I'm talking about from the 1800s and early 1900s, um, and even very much right up until the 2000s, like into the 90s, we were still thought of as... Juvenile, ignorant. Well, we our our beers are also much uh, higher in ABV. They're stronger in flavor, and so it, it just kind of mirrored everything they they believed about the American culture that we were brash and 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 over the top, and we didn't appreciate nuance and and you know artistry. It's like. It's like, uh, you know, the guy that only can appreciate a Maduro triple Lajero, you know, flavor bomb, the guy that truly loves Cuban cigars and and, and the shade grown cigars, you know, scoffs that you're missing some of these more delicate, nuanced flavors that, that, you you know, you're not appreciating these, that you need to, you know, be punched in the mouth with flavor to be able to appreciate any of it. It it, it, it kind of follows along that suit quite a bit.
1: All right, Randy. Where will we go from here if we do a uh, part two? Uh, what what will be our our next uh, step on the journey
3: along the way? Well, well, as I said, you know, you know, I mean, craft beer uh, hasn't even always been called that. You know, in in the eighties, you know, really in the nineties, the microbrew um, trend grew. Too much money was put into it. Many many brands. Came and failed, and the bubble burst. Um, and so I, I would think, you know, we we could do a whole show on on the microbrew fad and the and the bubble burst, and then chapter three would be the craft movement and where we are today. Right. Uh, and what what we see when we go to the stores today, and what trends, how trends have changed, and uh, what styles are are still showing growth, and uh, where, and and now you know, even just in the last five to ten years, we're seeing another shift again with with new drinkers, you know, people that are turning 21 now have a very different. Uh, feel for what what you believed uh you know the beer industry should be inver- and what i believe the the beer industry um, has been th- most through most of my life so um yeah i think a microbrew session and then uh and then where where are we today with craft beer um would would, would make for for a nice little series oh, So those are
2: those are considered two distinct different eras like i feel like most a lot of guys would just like consider those micro microbrewing and craft are just like two different words to mean the same thing.
3: In in a lot of ways they were, but but when you understand what happened in the industry, uh, again, you know the all the brands that came up, you know we had gotten to where there was like 1700 breweries and then literally half of them failed. And you know people thought that craft beer would just go away and um, and then there was a second surge that we're in now. And we believe, and and, and I can talk to why we believe there will be no burst this time. What they did wrong as they tried to create this industry in the '90s, um, but but yeah, from 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 a industry standpoint, there there's quite a big difference between the microbrew uh, trend and the craft movement.
2: So, you didn't include uh, hams, huh?
3: I didn't include hams. <laughs> hams. What's, what's <laughs> the deal with hams? Just give me a quick rundown. Hams is a Coors <laughs> brand, um, so so it's just, it's just a sub brand. It's it's a um, Coors is what's called a premium brand, and 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 Hams is their sub premium brand. Mm. So it's just a more economical. It's less barley. Uh, it's it's their it's their entry level uh, line. You know if if what do you uh, think
2: about um, the so you're drinking the Montucky cold snack? Like there's mm. got to be this wave of beers now that are emulating the style of these beers that we're talking about that are hip but they're not actually old school
3: yeah, very much so the 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 difference between what they were doing then versus what they're doing now is they're actually trying to make a really high-end product like like they and a lot of it is, is just the intention right is that they were trying to make a very economical Beer And, you know, so much changed after uh, World War II when when our troops came back, everything changed. There was a higher demand for uh, for luxury of enjoying of life, enjoying of our freedom. And so beer took a huge jump at that point. And uh, and. Again, the ingredients weren't as high quality as they are today. And so now trying to go back and recreate what you could do but with a higher level quality um, experience. And that's the other thing too, is, you know, it's all so secular as, as, you know, Anchor created something that was more, Full flavored, and then we've gone on this crazy run where we've seen beers get stronger and stronger by ABV, have more and more inclusions of, of ingredients. You know, where a stout used to just be a stout, now you can't even find a stout that's not a pastry stout that has pecans and 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 bubble gum and donuts put in it, and and it, like it's just gone so far to an extreme that now I, I think people I, I, we understand what flavors are possible. And sometimes you just want a good beer you know some, something that tastes of barley and hops and is clean easy to drink and you can you know enjoy a few of them without embarrassing yourself in front of the family at, at the at the weekend picnic right um, Right. but can, okay so,
2: so can you give me three beers that are not a hundred years old that are new that fit the style
3: Sure, Um, uh, we we just came off of GABF, hosted there in Colorado, the Great American Beer Festival, which is the largest ticketed event in America. Um, That's more than Coachella, more than Burning Man. GABF is the largest ticketed event in America, and it is the largest national uh, competition for beers. Um, A local brand to me here in uh, Northern California, Faction, just won gold medal for a light lager with a beer that he calls 1970s light lager. And it's an industrial uh, uh, ale that is literally, he calls out that the recipe that he found was an old Schlitz recipe. And he tried to recreate that, but without any of of the... uh, the cheapening of it, you know, not using real rice flakes instead of rice syrup, um, you know, things like that, but using real hops, you, you know, quality ingredients to make a really high quality version of these simpler beers. Again, Montucky Cold Snacks definitely fits the bill uh, for the way you just framed that. And then a third one, I would say you actually know a lot of breweries are doing it. You know, Revision has a light beer, Society out of San Diego has Society Light. Um, A lot of brands, as um, again, the breweries are constantly just trying to chase our palates. It's the consumers that drive these trends. And as more and more people kind of tend to gravitate more to the lagers and the Pilsner beers because it's refreshing and it's flavorful and it's nuanced and you can really enjoy it. Um, and so more and more breweries, actually numerous breweries that are known for their IPAs and their, and their stouts are now kind of being forced to rethink introducing a light lager into their portfolio because we're seeing so many more drinkers gravitate towards those styles again. There's
2: a, wow, Randy,
1: that's an incredible uh, episode, man. We can't thank you enough for, uh, taking the time to, uh, there. to go through that i can't wait to get into uh, part two and part three i got so many questions now this this episode uh answered a lot of questions for me but it also created a lot of questions for me so uh i'm looking forward to doing those uh randy what's coming up on uh flavor odyssey this wednesday
3: well we will be continuing on it'll be episode three of the cognac episodes um now that you say that, I, I believe I did promise to announce what the cocktail is tonight. I will post it tonight on uh, Dojoverse. So check out Dojoverse.com. You can always go to the Flavor Odyssey group. We'll Post the uh, the recipe for next Wednesday's show, um, but super excited. You know we, we're having a lot of fun with these cognac drinks. We've already done uh, the sidecar was uh, earlier this week. We started with the black rose cocktail, um, and I think Robbie wanted to uh, revisit the conversation for the third one. So let me make sure that that uh, him and I are on the same page with exactly what cocktail, and I'll post that on Dojo Verse tonight. And then you'll you can continue to follow along on Facebook. As we will do an announcement of the pairing on Monday, as always, and uh, and continue on the Cognac Connection.
1: Cool. Uh, as far as uh, Smoking Live goes, uh, next Friday night we'll be in Boynton Beach at Smoke Inn, and we'll be—it's the release party for the new Dogma 10th anniversary. So that's going to be an amazing event next Friday. I'll be there. Abe will be there. Jack Hyer will be there. Uh, who knows, there could be some uh, surprise guests uh, show up, but we'll be doing that uh, a week from from tonight on Smoke Night Live. Randy, I'm going to, since you are the the guest host, not you're the actual host, I'm sort of the guest, I'm going to let you take us out tonight on what has been an amazing episode of beer. How did we get here? So Randy, take it away, my friend.
3: Thank you, everybody, for joining along on Smoke Night Live. And remember, never smoke Smoke. alone.
0: The Monte Cristo 1935 Nicaragua was one of the most highly rated cigars of the year. Expertly crafted by legendary blenders Rafael Nadal and A.J. Fernandez, this cigar was blended to celebrate the 85th anniversary of the Monte Cristo line. It is hand-rolled using all-age Nicaraguan tobaccos exclusively from A.J.'s farm. This bold cigar is bursting with rich notes of chocolate, leather, a dash of spice, and a smooth, creamy finish. Enjoy one of the finest cigars of the year right now at JRcigars.com.